0: Well, I love that, uh, that song. We had to change the lyrics just a, just a tiny bit because it misses the point when it says that God turns these things for our good. Even what the enemy means for evil, God has already ordained for our good. Nothing surprises God. He's not reacting to the devil. God is God. So we worship him as our sovereign Lord today. I would invite you as we continue in our Impact World Series to turn to Acts chapter 22, really, at the end. We'll be in chapter 23, but we need to pick up uh, with the end of chapter 22. Just to catch you up while you're, while you're looking it up. I love hearing pages turn. That's very exciting to me. But just to catch you up, what, what we've just seen is Paul uh, has... Gotten to, um, he's gotten to Jerusalem. He's been arrested. He has a, a crowd comes up and, and creates this this riotous sort of mob justice. And uh, Paul, at a certain point before he is beaten as part of the interrogation, Romans were big on they were big on uh, rule of law, but they were maybe not so big on mercy and gentleness. But anyway, as Paul was about to be beaten. He points out that he's a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens have rights; they could not be beaten without a trial. And so the commander catches that, and it, it uh, as it draws Paul uh, it draws Paul into this safety of the secular government of Rome. It also provides something of a a platform going forward. Today, as we get into the end of 22 and into chapter 23, we will see that God in this event, and, and really obviously already has, but in this event specifically, we see set in motion a plan that God has had long before Paul ever had any awareness of his plan. Without further ado, let's look to the text Chapter 22, beginning with verse 30, and I'll read through the entirety of chapter 23. Luke writes, The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers... I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, A dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give him to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They've taken an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them: get ready a detachment of two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to go to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide horses for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows: Claudius Lysias to his Excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and they were about to kill him, but I came with my troops and rescued him for I had learned that he was a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusation had to do with questions about their law, but there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against the man, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. So the soldiers, carrying out, carrying out their orders, took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we open your word today, even as we have sung these songs of worship, we are reminded that you are sovereign over us. That you are indescribable. You created all things. Your, Your voice is heard in the hum of creation. Your majesty is seen in the starry skies. We can't escape your greatness. And yet, Father, as we see you, when we really see you, Oh, we're humbled. Humbled isn't even the right word, Lord. As we encounter you, we're like dead men. Because we are unholy. Every person hearing my voice agreeing with me in prayer today, Lord, every one of us stands unclean by our own works. There's no righteousness we can muster up. So, Father, we fall on your mercy. We confess our sins. And we understand that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. That we might take on his righteousness as our robes that allow us to enter into your presence. Father, receive our worship today. We have in ourselves no right to offer it. But in your Son, you have made us your children. So Father, we offer you our whole hearts. Not only our songs, but our very lives. These things we pray in the name of the precious one who gave himself up for us. Jesus Christ, amen. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's Proverbs 19.21. You can find it at the bottom of your program printed for you. It's our memory verse for the week. I just want to start by planting that deeply and firmly in your mind. If you see it, you have it. Read it with me. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails, Paul had plans. He saw things going a certain way, but God had a different plan. Guess which one prevailed? Have you ever found yourself in that situation? I've got a plan. I've got an expectation. Here's how I see things going. But God has a different plan. And you get alone by yourself. I saw that going differently in my mind. God's plan always trumps our plan, and it did so with Paul here in the chapter we just read. Paul had planned to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival, but not quite this way. Paul planned to make his way to Rome to preach the wonderful news that God had offered grace and life through Jesus Christ, but not quite this way. His travel itinerary wasn't the same as what God had already scheduled for him. Paul's plans were good. Don't miss that. God's not jerking Paul out of some, some terrible plan where Paul's doing his own thing and ignoring everybody, you know, everybody else's advice. He is ignoring advice, but it's because he's following what God has laid on his heart. All of his friends said, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Bad things are going to happen. You're going you're to face this persecution. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Stay safe. you hear that a lot these days. But God was impressing upon Paul that, yes, you will face persecution, and I need you to go anyway. So Paul, in his good plans, longed to carry out Christ's great commission and to make disciples. That was what Jesus had told us to do at the end of the book of Matthew. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in light of that authority, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So Paul is driven by this. He is heard he wasn't there but he heard the words that Jesus uttered at the beginning of the book of Acts as he was leaving this earth and going home to the father and he said you will receive power from on high and you'll be my witnesses even to the ends of the earth and Paul embraced this and took it to heart yeah, his plans were good he had plans to build Christ's church to elevate and encourage and strengthen. And yet, as Paul went about his plans, they weren't God's plans. God planned to do all of those things, but he had a different path. God's plans, though harder, were better. God designed this path specifically to accomplish what He had purposed. When I say what He had purposed, I mean what He purposed for, in, and through Paul. He's doing the same thing for all who belong to Christ. In fact, this brings us to our core reality for the passage. God purposefully prepares our path to perform His perfect plan. Now, don't get caught up in the absolutely brilliant alliteration and the, the cuteness and cleverness. We don't want to get trapped in foolishness like that. I just want it to be as memorable for you as, as I can make it. But we need to get the truth of this. Let it sink in deep. God purposefully, purposefully prepares our path to perform His perfect plan. That's what we're seeing here in Paul. It's what we're seeing here for ourselves as well. Now, while we may not understand the plans that God has set in motion in our lives, He is working all things together for our ultimate good and His ultimate glory. He ordains adversity to bring about our good, our growth, and His glory. So what's your adversity? Maybe you're not facing a Roman court. Maybe you're not standing before the Sanhedrin, the the leadership council of Israel. As you're going through this, our, our passage here centers on the persecution that Paul faces. But the path God's prepared for you and for me may be different. It doesn't necessarily look like Paul's path. All who reflect Christ will face various kinds of persecution that we know. We saw that in great detail last week. But the adversity you're dealing with right now is no less the path that God has purposely prepared for you in order to perform His perfect plan for your life. Whether you face physical, emotional, mental, social, financial, or spiritual adversity, God is intentionally using it. Because everything God does is intentional. There are no accidents with Him. He's intentionally using it to do something divine for you, in you, and through you. If we're going to get into this, I need to start by pointing out that nothing that enters your life is a surprise to God. No part of it. It's all been sifted through the filter of His perfect divine will. Every single thing in your life. Let that sink in for a minute. If you've been alive very long, you've faced difficult things. As I look around this group that we have here in person and how much more for those who are watching online, I know many of your stories. Some of you have faced loss and pain and tragedy even this week. Grief can swallow you up. Fear can intimidate you. Financial pressures can push you in directions that are counter to your faith. The loss of relationships because of your faith is a very real persecution. We are all facing a number of things and all of it, God is intentionally using in your life. Every single thing in your life is first off intended to bring you to the cross, to cause you to decide what you will do about the gospel of Jesus Christ. For all of us, your history, and the history, don't, don't, don't let me understate this, the history of the world up until this point was designed to bring you to the foot of the cross before Jesus, to recognize that God is holy, all-powerful, and sovereign, and there is a judgment for all that is imperfect in His creation. When I choose my way over God's way, that sin subjects me to judgment. And even before I actively and consciously make that choice, each of us has this sin nature that we inherit. It's part of us. So we don't see things rightly. We think, perhaps we do. We maybe even think that we seek after God. What we really seek after is a God of our own invention. God created in our image in order to Lift our heavy burdens. Oh, we want the blessings of God, but but we choose our own path. That's sin. And there's an eternal judgment that the Bible states as a matter of fact. It's not not even a threat. So often I I hear non-believers call it, well, you have this angry God who's threatening you if you don't obey Him. It's really not that. Jesus said, anyone who doesn't believe in the Son stands condemned already. It's not a threat, it's the state of reality for each one of us. The good news, however, is that Jesus died in our place so that He takes on that eternal judgment for us, the one who knew no sin, who faced every temptation just as we have and yet never once sinned, not in thought, or in deed, not in commission or or in omission. He never failed to do the will of the Father. He never did so with impure motives. None of us can say that, except for Christ. And he demonstrated God's love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us as a substitute. Theologians call that a substitutionary atonement. He died in our place to appease God's righteous wrath, to take on our judgment. This is the reality that all of history, leading up to your ancestors and your family and your upbringing and the events of your life have been worked together specifically to get each one of you to see and deal with that reality. Now once you come to Christ, once you find yourself giving up on trying to do this yourself and embracing that God's plan is the only plan and receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, then every event in your life, I could even say in history, that around you, is designed to perfect you, to perfectly conform you to the image of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the destiny of every believer. If you are in Christ, then it is your destiny. God predestined you before the earth when you are in Christ to become just like Jesus. Check it out, Christian. You cannot fail. You can't. Ultimately, one way or another, no matter how much you might fail now, God will ensure, according to the book of Ephesians, that you will be what He intended you to be. Paul writes to the Philippian church in the beginning of that letter, I am confident that the one who started this good work in you will be faithful to finish it all the way through until the Lord returns. There's power in that. Every part of your life, every aspect, big, small, everything, God has worked it and is working it to bring about your ultimate good in knowing Him and being conformed to the likeness of Christ and His ultimate glory in that. If you today have not received that that good news, if it's not yours, well, then I want to encourage you today. Take hold of it. Take hold of it. Jesus is calling for you. God is setting in motion His perfect plan through the path that He has per- purposely prepared for you. Won't you let go of your sin and your pride? Won't you do that right now? And let God do what God is doing? If you haven't received Christ, if this is is new for you, maybe it's not new information, maybe you've heard it, but it's new in you knowing, feeling the Holy Spirit tugging and nudging. Saying, come on, it's time. I want to encourage you, if you haven't received Christ and found real life in Him, do it now. Don't wait. Join His forever family. I'd love to talk to you about this. And i got to tell you, every lifer around you would love to talk to you about this as well. I'd love to help you on this pilgrim's journey. Let's do this together. So if you're receiving Christ today, you're ready to lay down your arms to say, Lord, I'm I'm raising my white flag of surrender. I am yours. It really is as simple as that. Saying, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. Save me. I know that I'm not right. I might have thought I was a good person by comparison to others, but according to your standard, when I stand before a holy God, I know I'm separated. I know that I'm not right and I face your judgment. And I'm trusting that Jesus is enough. That his death on the cross in my place is enough. And I want to receive that resurrection life. If you can say that, those words aren't the point. If you can say that with your whole heart, and Jesus says, welcome to my family, because as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become God's children, full rights of a child. He gives us adoption in his son. We're not, we're not kind of on the fringes, we're going to you know, kind of hang out in the house. No, we are his children, co-heirs with Christ. And if you've received Him today, then you are right now already transferred from death to life. That's pretty huge. Make sure you let somebody know so we can help you walk through that. If you're already in Christ, isn't it time you stopped resisting His will for your life? Some of you right now, you know that's who you are. You've said all the right things and you've prayed the right prayers and you're, you know in your heart that you love Jesus. And yet you also know you've been doing things your own way. You've been resisting His path because it's uncomfortable or it's hard or it's dangerous. I can't afford to do that. God is trying to do something. That's a bad choice of words. God doesn't try. do things but what god is doing in your life he will accomplish and the more i resist him the more painful it is i've had to tell my children that on occasion one way or another we're going to end up in the same place we're going to get to obedience it can be hard or it can be easy that's up to you but we're going to get there the lord's got a plan for you you can resist But all you're doing is stacking up pain. If you belong to Christ, let's get off the couch and start moving. Embrace what He has. And yeah, sometimes it's painful. That's what Paul's going through. But it's perfect. I got to move on. Lay down your sin, lay down your pride, embrace the purposeful path that God has prepared for you, and get on board with what He's doing for in and through you as we look at what god does as i mentioned for in and through us we see him doing things for in and through paul and we see a pattern for our own lives first notice that god uses adversity to work for his child god uses adversity to to work for his child turn if you would to psalm 23 Most of you are familiar with it. But notice the beautiful thing that David writes. This is the the comfort that we find in God. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm the sheep. I, I wander. I'm helpless. I'm dependent. And the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of death, I'll fear no evil because You're with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. This picture is a very good illustration of what God does for His children. In in His very person, being alongside us, providing the providence of God, in a general sense, is astounding that He cares for us. How much more so for those who have gone from being His enemies to being His children. He puts us in this protected shepherd relationship notice what he says next you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies in other words you celebrate with me you feed me we feast together now if you've had a family get together maybe at thanksgiving or christmas and you sit down to dinner together what are you doing you're you're laughing you're telling stories enjoying one another's company when the lord prepares a table for us it's so that we can enjoy Him and enjoy His blessings as we enjoy Him. And He does it even in the presence of our enemies, our persecutors. That's a powerful picture of how God works even in adversity for His children. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brad read for us at the beginning of the service from Psalm 33. I'd like to remind you of that. As the psalmist is exulting in God and he's calling the people of God, those who know him, To sing, to praise, because God is for us. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. Can't you just hear His excitement as He recognizes that God is for us? Ah, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. When you recognize the great indescribable nature of our God, you don't have to muster up some reverent kind of fear. When you recognize the vastness of Him, fear is the only natural, logical response. If you aren't dumbstruck with fear and trembling before that holy God, then you haven't seen Him yet. You haven't understood it. Let all the earth fear the Lord, but... Let all the people of the world revere him. That fear leads to a respect. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. This reality of how great God is is contrasted with the joyful singing and praise of his people because God is for us. Let's fill in the rest of those blanks. God uses adversity to work for His child. He has set in motion a plan for our good. Romans 8.28 says that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It doesn't say that everything is good. It says that God is using those things. He's working those things. Whatever it is, good, bad, ugly, He's using it. He's working it together for a big picture, ultimate good. That is very, very different than the message we often hear, that if we follow God, if we do the God thing, if we go to church, if we keep our noses clean and we honor Him, that God then will clear the path for us and give us the desires of our heart. He gives us the desires of our heart when we align our hearts with Him. That's what He wants to give us. He wants to give us Himself. There is an ultimate prosperity in what God does for His children. Maybe we understand prosperity wrongly. He has set in motion a plan for our good. Also, God prepares our path to bless us. He prepares our path to bless us. What God has put into your life, even even those bad things... He has done so in order to bless you, to bless His people, to bless you personally. God purposefully prepares our path to perform His perfect plan. And to go even a step farther, a step further, I apologize for my failed grammar, when God does this, He does it even if you perceive that it portends a permanent persecution or pain. Even when God has something for you that you only see as bad, the valley of the shadow of death, and it looks like it might be protracted, it might be going on for a long time, and you don't see a way out of it, you don't have to. Because the one who prepared the path already knows its destination. He knows everything along that path. And our sovereign God purposes even what the enemy means for evil, for your good. God uses adversity to work for His child. Notice also, God uses adversity to work in His child. God uses adversity to work in in His child. Let me just fill in the blanks for you here so that I don't get distracted from it. He has set into motion a plan for our growth. He set into motion a plan for our good, but He set into motion also a plan for our growth. God prepares our path to build us. He prepares our path to build us. God uses adversity to work in His child he has set into motion a plan for our growth, and He prepares our path to build us. While we're in the Psalms, go ahead and turn to Psalm 119. This is not only the longest psalm, but it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And it is one of my favorites because basically it's David's love song to God's Word. When you get to Psalm 119, look for verse, oh, let's say, 67. Now let's back up to 65 and take the the, uh, pericope in its entirety. Every once in a while I like to say pericope just for fun. It's a unit of thought. Starting with verse 65, David writes, Do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Notice what he says next. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Doesn't that sound a lot like what Paul's facing? The arrogant, prideful ones who exalt themselves against and above the gospel are smearing him with lies. Maybe you face this yourself but it's not going to cause him to waver from the truth of God's word. Earlier in this same psalm, David writes, Your word I've hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. How is Paul able to stand in the midst of this adversity? Because he's filled his heart. He's filled his mind with God's word. How can you and I stand? How can we grow in the midst of this adversity? By renewing our mind regularly with God's Word so that His Spirit within us can transform us from the inside out. When we fill ourselves with God's Word, the Spirit will swing that sword in our situation so that our adversity then drives us to the Word that we have put deep in our heart. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. That's a, a picture of affection. It's not just that I do it. And it's not just that I dig it. It's that I choose to treasure and cherish this above all else. And as I choose to cherish and treasure your word, I see it as more precious than anything else regardless of whether I feel it in the moment or not, in that process of deliberate, volitional treasuring of God's Word, my affections come into line with that and I fall in love with it. I fall in love with God's Word by doing and choosing what I might not be feeling so that as I do so, My feelings come into line and I delight in the law of the Lord. Verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. The Lord uses adversity to work in His child. He set into motion a plan for our growth. God prepares our path to build us Turn to the New Testament. Find the book of Romans. If you're still marked in Acts, you just passed it. It's the book right after, right after Acts. Find Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5. Paul, the same Paul we're seeing in Acts 23, writes to the church at Rome. He hasn't even been there yet. He's still on his way. With the events that have been set in motion in today's passage, he will eventually get to Rome, but he hasn't gotten there at the time that he writes this letter. And he says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Don't you want peace with God? That's a beautiful thing. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not in ourselves. There's no room for boasting. But we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We are excited about the glory of God. We are thrilled to know the hope that He has given us in Christ. But notice what comes next. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces. Keep this in mind. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. He reiterates this a couple of chapters later. If God sent His Son to die for you while you were still His enemy, once you have received that offer of Christ and become His children, doesn't it just stand to reason? Isn't it logical seeing God's character that he would be more devoted to you as his child than he was when you were his enemy? Therefore, when God gives you a path, whatever that path is, whether that means power, prestige, and prosperity, or it means pain and persecution perpetually, in any case, whatever it is, God is looking at that path and saying, this is the very best possible plan for my child. It's hard to grasp. Even angels don't get it. How could He love us this much? God uses adversity to work in His child. He set into motion a plan for our growth. And He prepares our path to build us Lastly, we see God uses adversity to work through His child. God uses adversity to work through His child. God is doing something in our pain. He's doing something in the persecution that He brings about. He allows this in our lives... At times in Scripture, he even goes so far as to say he causes it. Some people get really overboard with that, and other people run away from that. No, no, God can't do anything like that. God can do what he wants. He's God. If he does it, it's good, period. That's the definition of good. Well, he's a terrible, angry, mean God. Okay, let's stop for just a second. Just just for a second. Let's stop trying to act like God has to answer to us. Let's not judge God who will stand in judgment of us. But God, in the things that He brings into our lives, actively, passively, however you choose to, to recognize it, as He does these things, He is working out His purpose. He is doing something through us that is bigger than us. So we see that He has has set into motion a plan for our good. We see also that this plan that he set into motion is for our growth. But notice also he has set into motion a plan for his glory. He uses adversity to work through his child as he has set into motion a plan for God's own glory. That's the highest good there is. God is the ultimate Reality, And there is nothing better for any human than to find themselves in Him. To be fully attuned to and fully in harmony with their purpose for existing. And in harmony with the Creator who gave them that purpose. Now, as God does all of these things... Through his child, for his glory, he has prepared a path for us. God prepares our path to bless others. God prepares our path to bless others. The suffering that you're going through is a ministry to someone else. We are comforted so that we can comfort others. We go through difficulty that very often we think is just about us. And God is doing something in that for us. And He's doing something in that in us. But we often forget that He is doing something in it through us. Years ago, um, my wife's brother was killed in a a fire. And and most of you know that, I think, that uh, he and uh, three of his kids were, were killed in a fire. I can't imagine a more horrible thing. It was was overwhelming. Uh, Gary and Adrian were were overwhelmed. We were overwhelmed. It it felt like suffocating. It felt like drowning. Like it can't possibly be good. I've shared this before, and I, I, I don't know that I can share it too many times. I stood there at the funeral service, And in this horror of horrors I saw my wife and her mother in despite and through their grief minister to others in the presence of these caskets I watched Gary over the coming years <clears throat> having had his heart ripped out. Now, I, 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 can't fully, I can't fully identify with the grief of a mother or a sister. I've never been either of those. But, but as a dad... to have your only son ripped from your life. It's overwhelming. And over the next many years, I watched my father-in-law process that. And there were many peaks and valleys. Now, many of you know Gary to be a, a man of strength and stability. He's a human like the rest of us. And there were times when the darkness flooded in. And what I noticed is he didn't wait. More specifically, God didn't wait for that darkness to go away before others were blessed in the midst of it. Their suffering, our suffering, your suffering is bigger than the pain that you feel. That pain is real and it's huge. And yet, what God is doing through it to bless others is for His glory. God uses adversity to work through His child and has set into motion a plan for His glory. And He's prepared a path for us to bless others. so many passages that I would like to read for you and with you I, I would encourage you just for right now to turn to Philippians chapter 1 if you're still in Romans it's a little to the right, the books start getting smaller after Romans I want to encourage you basically to, to just read the whole book of Philippians in, in, in light of what we're talking about here And you'll see that the majority of it is listed for you in your program but I, for, for right now, if I can get through the tears here, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1 and find verse 12. Again, this is Paul, same guy we were talking about in today's passage. Now in prison. He's writing this letter from, from prison or from uh, incarceration. He is, uh, he's chained to a Roman guard. and he writes this now I want you to know brothers and sisters that that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel I would underline this in my Bible if I were you remembering that God uses adversity to work through his child for his glory to bless others I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When we see others go through adversity and hold fast to the truth, to stand up, to bear up under it, to endure and persevere, it's encouraging, it's inspiring. Fox's Book of Martyrs has had an impact on many lives throughout the many centuries now that it's been around. And as Fox gathered these stories of Christ followers who paid the ultimate price, as we see it, who laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel, who would rather be burned alive, as many of them were, than to renounce Christ or to turn from Him. You and I can read those stories And be moved, stirred, inspired, much more than by a Rocky movie. It can pick us up. We can become bold because of others' faith. And others can be encouraged and emboldened by ours. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear jump ahead, if you would, to verse 19. Paul has just said, I'll continue to rejoice, even in in spite of the fact that some are, are preaching the gospel with bad motives. He says, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Why would you say that, Paul? Why would you say that Christ will be exalted in your body, whether by life or by death? 21, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me to live as Christ. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That's gain, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. And it continues in this vein of of joyful inspiration while imprisoned. God uses adversity to work through His child for His glory to bless others. Whatever you're going through, Whatever it is. Persecution, pain, frustration with your lack of progress in the faith. God is using that not only to bless you and not only to build you, but to bless others through you. That you might be strengthened and strengthening those who are observing your life. As we wrap this up, I've got Two more scriptures that I want to read for you. You can turn back to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. A familiar and inspiring passage. But before we read from it, I want to remind you of our memory verse. Many are the plans in a person's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. God purposely Purposefully prepares our path to perform his perfect plan. God is never surprised. God is never reactionary. He is the initiator. What he purposes comes to pass. There is no maybe with God, there is no whoops with God. Didn't see that one coming. He has a purpose. And it stands. I'm going to start reading with verse... Oh, for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and and, uh, jump to verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. In other words, made right with God. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? That doesn't mean who could oppose us. It means who can stand when they oppose us? Who can be against us? or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor Nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. I close with a thought, a benediction really. You don't have to turn there, but I would invite you to just receive these words from Psalm 20. In fact, I would encourage you just to close your eyes and let the Spirit of God wash over you as I read these words from David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May He remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May He give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to His anointed. He answers him from His heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of His right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the King. Answer us when we call. Father, as we, as we close our message time today, our study in Your Word, May we embrace the path that You have purposely prepared. Father, as we prepare to celebrate this ancient ceremony of Your your communion, this remembrance celebration that we so often call the, the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Father, as we do this, Help us to see and to recognize that the path you had for your precious, perfect Son, Jesus, was anything but easy. It was fraught with suffering. It was paved with adversity. Filled with persecution, even unto death. And while he knew that, Going in, He embraced it as Your will. Help us to do the same, to embrace whatever You have for us, for Your glory. We pray this in His name. Amen.